How many guys? How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? A little bit of hands. Yes, I'm guessing most of you guys are familiar with the miraculous story of how God called Abraham and how He decided to make him into a great nation. I think that much is we were very familiar with that story from our Sunday school stories, basically. And today we're looking at a midpoint junction between the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The midpoint. Right there where God's planning is definitely moving forward for his chosen people in his way. Right before this passage, what happened is that an impossible marriage basically happened. This woman who never met this husband from this very faraway land, being very convinced by the faithful servant, agreed to come to marriage without even having time to say farewell to her family. She agreed to come immediately following the servant, and so she came out of faith because she was somehow, I believe, convinced that God had a plan for Isaac as well as her, that through the continuous family of faith, God is going to move forward with his plans. So because she agreed and she saw that in faith, she decided to marry Isaac and decided to come along to Canaan where Isaac was, and they got married. Fast forward to today's story, we come to the point where they are married and now they are ready to move forward with God's promise by bearing children, by bearing a family because God's promise to Abraham and then to Isaac was this. Your descendants are going to be numerous as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand in the seashore. So believing that promise, they are now ready to have babies. But here's the problem. There are no babies happening. Rebecca was infertile. She could not have babies. So let's think about that for a moment. I know obviously when we encounter a problem, the immediate reaction that we have and the answer that we can usually give is this. Oh, if we have a problem, we go to God and pray. Right? This is the very basic um, fundamental function that has been taught to us through our VBS and through our Sunday schools and everything that we can imagine of. So we can imagine that that's probably the action that Isaac chose to do, and which he indeed do. Now, though, how could Isaac have that faith? Well, I believe it's simple. I believe that his dad, Abraham, probably talked to Isaac until his ears bled. Of what facts? Of what, what would Abraham repeat to Isaac over and over again? It would be this. You're the promised child. You're the child born of a miracle. You know, our, we were, your mom and I were old and we were 100 years old and yet we were able to have you. Why? Because you're the promised child of God. You're the promised son. And so over and over again throughout his life, I'm guessing Abraham would have talked to Isaac until his ears bleed about how God fulfilled an amazing, how God did an amazing thing of making the infertile woman fertile and bring life out of dead, just like that. So I believe this is what compelled Isaac to pray. When Rebekah was having fertility issues, he probably thought of his own story and all about how God worked in his life. And therefore, Isaac, I definitely believe, offered a prayer of faith. Please give my wife a child because I know your promise is going to come through our family. So Lord, wouldn't you give my wife a child? And we, as we know, God did give them a child. But here's the problem. How long did it take for God to answer their prayers? We can see that from verse 20 and verse 26. 
In verse 20, it is reported that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. That means he basically got married when he was 40 years old. However, in verse 26, we realize that Isaac was 60 years old. If you look at the last two lines, it says that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. I know you guys can do math. How long did it take? It took about 20 years for God to answer their prayers. Even though Isaac offered his prayer in genuine faith that God listens and that he rewards those who seek him, God took 20 years to answer his prayer. Why is that? And I believe here is where we, um, the crux of the sermon, I believe, comes as well. Many times, even when we ask God of things, it usually takes a long time to be answered, does it not? We ask uh, for sometimes our families. We sometimes ask for our financial situations. We ask for our family's conversion. We pray over relationships. We pray over our health. We pray over our uncertain security. And yet, many times, more often than not, it feels like God is not answering. And He seems to take this enormous amount of time in actually responding to our prayers. Why? Why is God doing this? Why did he delay such a faithful prayer for such a long time? Well, I believe there is a lesson to be learned. I believe there are two lessons that God wanted Isaac to learn through this process of waiting and delay. First of all, through this lesson of silence, I believe that God tried to show to the people, to show to Isaac in particular, that he is the owner and the mover of this spiritual promise and enterprise. We have to think about this. Why did God choose Abraham to begin with? Why did God offer Abraham a promise? Simple. To create a people who worship him and him only. Because that is how this broken world, world full of sin, is going to recover. The reason why God said he's going to multiply descendants is very simple. Because through these multiplying of people who serve him and only him faithfully, he can restore the world once again. And in order for this to happen, however, in order for Isaac's children to be faithful to God, Isaac had to learn how to be faithful himself. Unlike Abraham, who went through many trials of faith and who had many experiences of faith, in terms of Isaac, he was still relatively young and he had to learn lessons of faith. So in order to ensure that Isaac would continue on this project of faith, Isaac had to have time to acknowledge that God is indeed the owner and mover of this project, not himself. Because think about it. If Isaac only took about a year or two in having a baby, what, what he would have thought? Oh, well, we're just human beings. We, you know, you're relatively young. We can have children. You know, we can just have a relationship and we can have children if it is about a year or two. But imagine those years going by more and more than that. Three years, four years, five years. At that point, the problem is very clear. Oh, she is infertile. And, or that I am, or it could be that Isaac was infertile, or that I am infertile. And in order for something miraculous to happen, in order for God's promise to continue, I need God's intervention. That is a lesson that Isaac would have definitely learned at that point. And I believe that is a lesson that I believe God wanted Isaac to learn at that point. That he is the sole mover and the owner of the promise. And that he alone has the power to move that promise forward. 
I believe that's the first reason why God is taking 20 years of silence to make sure that Isaac acknowledges God as king above all. Secondly, I believe the second reason why God gave such a long time in answering the prayer is to teach Isaac how to learn dependence on God. There is something that lack does to us. Whether it be lack, whether we would be hungry, whether we be thirsty, whether we're suffering from bad relationships, whatever it might be, it teaches us one simple principle, who we are. We are created beings wholly dependent and in need of God. It is very often tempting in our lives to look on our lives and say, well, I, I think I can handle this. I think I can go there, do this, and, you know, do all these necessary steps, and that's basically going to make me, you know, move forward in my life. And to a certain extent, God has definitely given His creation that much freedom. That is why even the unbelievers, if they work hard and they work very diligently and very skillfully, they can usually advance forward in their jobs, be very successful, etc., etc., etc. However, this is Isaac's promised family that we're talking about. And unless Isaac's promised family learns how to depend on God, they will not be people who worship God and God alone. They could easily turn to other idols that can easily satisfy them at a moment's notice. They can easily depend on things that would give them immediate gratification and just a sense of pleasure that would kind of stifle and kind of paralyze their sense of guilt or suffering or hurt that they're experiencing in the world which is the reason why so many people turn to entertainment these days, because they simply want something that can immediately satisfy their empty hearts. But not for God's people, not for Isaac's promised family. God definitely wanted to teach Isaac that they are indeed created beings in need of God, whose need can only be fulfilled in God. Not because of what God does for us, but because of what God is to us. That he is the only answer to some of the holes that exist in our heart. So I believe those are the two lessons why God gave Isaac such a long time before answering his prayer. So how do we apply this message? My message today is a very short one. And I would like to think about how in the ways this passage could apply to me and our lives. I believe we can maybe take the two principles here and take it away. That we can, first of all, we need to acknowledge that God is Lord. And secondly, that we need to learn how to depend on God. And maybe the answer could lie and finish there. And we can simply say, oh, we need to learn how to depend on God. And we need to learn how to put God as our king. But I believe there is a little bit more to that than this lesson that we have just examined today. I believe that today's promise to Isaac is actually a lesson to the church as a whole as well. Let me unpack that, what I mean by that. First of all, I think we can acknowledge this simple but very powerful truth. We are Abraham's and Isaac's descendants in Christ. Not the Israelites, not the Jews. We thought they were, but they were the physical descendants. But as the New Testament now tells us, we became the true descendants of Christ, as Galatians 3.16 tells us. I'll read it out for you guys. Now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, meaning multiple descendants, but referring to only one, that is Christ, and to your offspring. So in Christ, 
who was the promised descendant. We now join into his headship and become his little brothers in a sense, spiritually speaking, not actually, because he has admitted us into his family. And therefore, as Abraham's and Isaac's descendants, the promise that God made to Abraham in a way still applies to us as the church. And as such, as, some, as the church carries on the blessings, we also carry on the responsibilities that Abraham had. And let me unpack that a little bit in the next slide. The, this is the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is known as the Abrahamic covenant. First of all, Abraham, God promised Abraham family and many descendants. How was that fulfilled in the church? It was fulfilled by the spiritual children of the church. Jews or Gentiles, whoever it might be, whoever professes their faith in God, have become children of God. And whoever confessed their sins and have accepted Lord as their, uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior now became adopted. And they became sons and daughters of God. And therefore, once how the children were alienated from God, now they are belonging in God, becoming their family, communicating with them, enjoying God's presence, enjoying God's intimacy, enjoying God's power and His promises forever. We're no longer far away, but now together. And no longer set apart, wedged and divided by our hostilities and our weaknesses, but we are now called to be one family together between us as well. So that is how God provides to us, to the church, a family and descendants. Now God's promise of land, what did land signify? Land signified the area where it, it is like Eden. Eden, remember, before it was corrupted by sin, it was a place in which God's presence and God's provision was flowing abundantly without any type of failure. Does that promise apply to us today? Yes, God made us his temple. We are the temple of God in which God's spirit dwells within us. We are not God, we are not God's spirit, but his spirit dwells within us. And that's how we're able to have and enjoy a relationship with God, because we are now the temple of God. And the provisions that God promised to give to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the land, that is also provided and also confirmed by Jesus when he says, I will promise for those who seek the kingdom first, I will provide abundantly. As we know from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And, but the purpose of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to their descendants and to the church, the purpose of their existence is still the same. As we see from the last row, people who worship him and him only. That is our responsibility. That is our calling. So in the church, we find the promised blessings of family, eternal presence and relationships, provisions, all already granted to us, just as he has granted to Abraham and Isaac. And then we now have the responsibility to us. What is it? Restoration of the world. How will we restore the world? By having people who worship him and him only. That is a promised blessing to the church, and that is the responsibility that God gives to the church. So through all of us, we are granted this promise. And to all of us, we have the responsibility of restoring the world. So again, how in the world does, does that apply to me then specifically? For the church to manifest God's power and his blessings 
And for us to experience the blessings of familyship as well as restoration into the world, we must learn how to first of all accept the headship of Christ over the church. I think many of us, I know some of us have stayed in one church or two churches at the most part, but for some of us, we went to many different churches where mankind, where human beings, where deacons, elders, pastors tried to take on the ownership of the church and take control over it, thinking that the church is theirs. So they do what they want. They do whatever their desires call them to. And you have all probably seen how much destruction and wrong that brings in the church. How much broken relationship it ends up producing. How much wretchedness the church ends up producing if it seeks to place human beings at the top of the church. Friends, just as the time of waiting to Isaac shows, we must learn through this time of waiting how to accept the headship of Christ over the church. We must learn how not to put anything else above other than the word of God as the true guidance and head of our church. Otherwise, if we seek and if we fail to do that, we fail to become his spiritual descendants. We fail to receive the promise of God. We will fail to receive the power of God. Why? Because we have taken, again, God out of the equation. But if we learn to take the headship of Christ over the church, if we submit to his word, his will, and his heart, and take it deeper within our hearts and put it at the center of our lives, the promised blessings of land, of children, of prosperity, of relationship, it will be ours. Maybe not in the physical form, maybe not in the form of offerings and money, but in the form of genuine, restored life that we were meant to have. And so I believe through this promise we can learn definitely a lesson to accept the headship of Christ over the church. And secondly, to acknowledge the complete dependence of God regarding the church. It is easy and it is tempting to look at other churches and other programs that they do and say, oh, these are the things what make the church grow. Oh, these are the, way, the things that make church wonderful. We need to be multi-ethnic, you know, we need to be you know, going out and serving the neighborhoods, and we need to be basically building all these great buildings and having these awesome worships, and we think that these are going to bring heaven down on earth, that these are going to bring comments down on earth, and that is precisely what Satan wants us to believe. Friends, the church's promise moves only forward by God. The power of God, the power of restored relationships, the power of sin being broken, the power of God's gracious, eternal presence being present among us, that doesn't happen when we work hard. That's not what gonna, that's going to bring it. The only thing that brings it is our dependence on God, as we see from Isaac's case. Only when we learn to rest and depend on His grace is God going to truly become our Lord. And when truly God becomes our Lord and He sees that we have been waiting only patiently towards Him, when we are ready, when we are waiting, when we're depending on Him, He will pour out His blessings for sure, abundantly. And it always takes time, but we must learn how to do so in all patience. Because when we do so, miracles will happen and heaven will truly come down on earth as it is meant to be. So friends, remember this. The church, we are the believers. We are the children born of Abraham, Isaac, and um, Jacob spiritually. 
We carry on their promises. We are now living out those promises as God already granted it to us. And we have the purpose of multiplying and making people who worship Him and Him only. Because when we do so, the world will be restored, the church will enjoy His blessings, and God will be glorified. So friends, when hard times hit, whether to the church or to you as an individual, learn how to wait. Learn how to acknowledge God as Lord. Learn how to continually depend on Him in patience. Because when you do, God's sure promise to you, God's sure plan for you, will come to you in His due time. So let us not grow weary of doing good, but let us continue on to do the work that God has entrusted us with, depending on Him, serving Him, and making Him Lord of our lives. I'll conclude now.